Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, tales from the world of a venture capitalist. It's extremely stressful. I, I wake up in uh, sweating every night, sort of thinking about decisions we made the previous day. Cybersecurity is a key part of our region's innovation economy. A lot of us know that. What you may not know is there are over 900 cybersecurity companies operating in our region, and our region's talent is one of the things that keeps the nation safer. It is also one of the biggest reasons why national tech companies like Amazon are locating here in our region more and more. The role of venture capital in growing cybersecurity companies is an important part of this trend because not everybody wants to work at a big company. A lot of people want to start companies and take a crack at being their own boss and growing a big company themselves. One of the investors making that possible in our region is our next guest. He's Hank Thomas, Chief Executive Officer and Partner in Strategic Cyber Ventures. We're going to take the moment to talk about how we could grow this ecosystem, innovation ecosystem better, and also what Hank is seeing with respect to his own investment activities. Hank, thanks for joining us today. No, thanks for having me. Well, I know this is something that you and I really share is how do we build a better ecosystem to support entrepreneurs who want to start cyber companies? What's your current take on where we are and what do you want to see us do better? Well, we're definitely in the very early stages of it here in the D.C. region. Um, there, it's a lot easier and I think safer for an, a young entrepreneur to leave a government agency or a big defense contractor and start a services firm because you can quickly find revenue and get to profitability, profitability in that space. Uh, however, if you want to start a software company, which is what we're primarily interested in, um, it's going to take a little bit more time to become profitable. So there needs to be a safety net for them, generally in the form of early stage investors. Um, we're one of about six, I would say, in the region that are hyper focused on early stage cybersecurity software companies. And we just really want to continue to cultivate that ecosystem and build that net so that people know how to find it and and uh, can see a path forward. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with you. My uh, Tandem Product Academy is an, is an effort to help service companies retool into product. There's a big difference between product and service. Without question, in, in my mind, we really need to have people understand the big difference between growing a product business, growing a service business. You're an, an entrepreneur. You've been in the government contract industry. You see this from various different directions. In your opinion, what are the big differences that a service entrepreneur, because I'm sure we have many listening to the show because of the, the program and where we are, what would you tell them the biggest differences between being a product and a service entrepreneur? R&D, totally different, totally different uh, process and sort of figuring out what you need, what it is, you might have an idea of the product you want to develop, but figuring out that product market fit and having an R&D capability that can kind of pivot in that space. And for me, uh, being more of a services guy that's now a product guy that relied on products in the past, it's really been around how you market and position those things once you develop it and how you sell it. For me, the sales part process, the business development process is totally different. Mm. Uh, and we're really having to rely on West Coast talent to do a lot of that for us because that that's the part that doesn't really exist here for us yet. What I find when I talk with service oriented entrepreneurs who are really good at it, they're really good at it because they really focus on what the customer wants, which means that they build great technology just for that client. And what I'm often asked is, how do I make the choice about which features not to have in a product if I'm going to not try to tailor it specifically for a client? That would seem to me to be the biggest difficulty for somebody who's used to building for a client is how do you figure out what to eliminate to make a product that can be useful to a thousand people? Do you find that too? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to fall into the trap of having your first client uh, or your first customer dictate all of the features of your product. Mm. Uh, I've run into that. I ran into that when I was 
uh, when I was at Booz Allen, and we created the first um, managed service in the history of Booz Allen. We had a large Fortune 10 bank that basically uh, dictated all of the features they wanted of our managed service. We actually tried to productize that managed service, which was in a big company like Booz Allen, which was a was a, an interesting journey to go down. And in the end, the product that we created um, was really hyper-focused for that one customer. I learned a lot from that. And now that we have early stage companies that have one or two customers, it's it's telling people no and saying, um, no, we're this, we want to build a product that scales. You have to figure out where to draw that line and say no. I think that one of the hardest parts of being an entrepreneur is saying no. And the second part that makes it really difficult is often when you say no, you don't actually have any real knowledge of what's going to get you victory by saying yes. You know, <laughs> And right. I think that, again, that's one of the reasons why being in a service-related environment is so excellent because if you have a customer in front of you who says, I know if you deliver this, I will pay you, it's so much more predictable. Do you find that ultimately this becomes an, a temperamental life choice? You know, if you want to be a product person, the victory could be so much sweeter because the numbers are so much greater because you can make the same thing and sell it again and again and again. It could be hugely profitable. But boy, is it stressful. It's, it's extremely stressful. I, I wake up and... Uh, sweating every night, sort of thinking about decisions we made the previous day. I mean, we've we've made the concerted uh, effort, and I feel like we've done a good job of it at, as a venture cap, as a sort of accidental venture capitalist to to bolt ourselves onto our companies and help them in every stage of their development. I mean, I've I've sat at a booth for our companies before when they didn't have enough people to sit at a booth, and so the, I'm I'm in on a lot of the decisions, and we've made some really bad decisions in the last three years, but we've made some really awesome decisions as well. And so, but it's it's just figuring out, learning from those things and moving on. I've often mm -hmm. felt in my own entrepreneurial career, even when life sucks, at least it's my suck. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> Which may be the biggest difference. Uh, you learning, know, learning to own your suck. Learning to own your suck. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's going to be the headline yeah. for this podcast, yeah. learning to own your suck. <laughs> Speaking of learning to own your suck, you said something that I, I really want to ask you about before we go. You said an accidental venture capitalist. Accidental, I, you know, you have to raise a fund. You have to get somebody to give you money. How does somebody become an accidental venture capitalist? Because if so, I want to have that accident. Right. I was uh, been in the cybersecurity and the intelligence business for 20 years. Long story short, built a relationship with a large hedge fund in New York um, that was interested, getting interested in security. Um, but they knew from being a, from a hedge fund standpoint that wasn't really the best entry point into cybersecurity. Uh, and over the course of about two years worth of conversations, I didn't know much about venture capital. I really just kind of vaguely knew what it was. I narrowed down that I really wanted to start to develop the products that didn't exist in the world that I was consulting in at that time. And through my research, I figured out that's called venture capital. And um, this relationship that I kept up, I said, I went back to them at some point and they came to me sort of at the same point and they said, you know, we don't want to just buy one company that's sort of in distress or something like that. We want to invest in lots of little companies that are doing really awesome things. Um, how would you would you be interested in participating? And I said, absolutely, because that's exactly what I'm thinking about. And that's how we form Strategic Star Ventures. And that's, they're our largest investor. Um, we have about a $100 million fund. Um, we've deployed 22 million of that so far. And that, that's what I mean by accidental venture. I'm a security guy that now does venture capital. Well, I think like many entrepreneurs I know, accidents aren't really accidents, they're preparation match with opportunity. Right. And we're glad to have you here, Hank. I think that uh, having another $100 million fund operating in this region is very important for us getting the ecosystem we want. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. That was Hank Thomas for Strategic Cyber Ventures. Thank you to our sponsor, Tedco. Tedco invests in early stage tech and life science companies. It provides resources and connections that companies need to thrive in Maryland. 
Headco's mission is to discover, invest in, and help build great companies. Learn more at www.headco.md. And a thank you to our sponsor, JLL. JLL is a leading commercial real estate service company within the Washington, D.C. metro area, serving the technology, government contracting, and professional services industries. JLL's strategy-led approach and expert implementation results in cost-effective and flexible real estate solutions that help their clients succeed and grow. Thank you to Speakerbox Communications. Speakerbox is your team for meeting the unique demands of the technology sector, crystallizing complex ideas, targeting highly intelligent buyers, and moving at the speed of tech. Since 1997, they've given voice to many of our industry's top thinkers and performers. Check them out at speakerboxpr.com. And thanks to our sponsor, Tandem Product Academy. If you're looking to grow a software technology business and you're past your first five employees or your first half a million dollars in revenue, their free educational program will teach you how to grow your business. Supported by a broad group of our region's leading business organizations and local governments, Tandem Product Academy is free to participants. Learn more at tandeminnovate.com. Thank you for joining us on What's Working in Washington. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, online writer Barbara Ulrich, music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. See you next time.